Welcome to The Bible Says. My name's Aaron Rayleigh, and I'm your host. This podcast is an expository study. Basically, we go through the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, exploring the radical love of God and our calling to radically love others. So this episode, we're reading from Psalm 40. Starting in verse 1, and we'll again, we'll go through as far as we can. But I want to explore the psalm that in the Passion Translation is titled, A Joyful Salvation. This is one of my absolute favorite psalms because it, you see the writer go through this journey of exploring and realizing and, and gaining these revelations about what salvation is to the point of pure joy. And you can't help but feel it when you read it in this translation. Now, for those of you just uh, who who aren't sh- or aren't aware, uh, the Passion Translation is a newer translation. It's a dynamic. It's not a word for word literal. But I love it because in my in my own time of study, studying the original Hebrew, studying it along literal translations, he lays out the heart behind the original language. So I decided to use this translation because you get the essence and you get the emotion behind what David was writing when he was reflecting on the revelation of his salvation. So we'll start in verse 1. It says, I waited and waited and waited some more, patiently knowing God would come through for me. Then at last, he bent down and listened to my cry. What a beautiful way to start. A psalm. You know, when we think about a lot of times in life, we go through these seasons when we are up against more than what we're um, consciously able to handle. You know, we see a lot of um, trials. We have stuff going on at work. We have stuff at home. We have all kinds of things that we have to deal with. And the majority of the time, we can't do it on our own. And so in, in this psalm, the idea of waiting, the, the, the word um, waited or waiting in the original Hebrew is the word kavah. And kavah means to wait, to look for, to hope or expect, to lie in wait. And so it's this eager longing for something. And so I relate to that. There are seasons and times in our lives when we're looking to the Lord for answers and we're waiting and we're longing, asking God to bring an answer. And through the patience of our faith, we'll see God listen. At the end of verse 1, he says, Then at last he bent down and listened to my cry. So God hears your prayers and he stoops himself down to listen. In a very literal sense, Jesus came down to earth. But in in the New American Standard Version, it says, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. So he intently listened because he cares about what you have to say. Continuing in verse 2, he stooped down to lift me out of danger from the desolate pit I was in, out of the muddy mess I had fallen into. Now he's lifted me up into a firm, secure place and steadied me while I walk along his ascending path. I love this. I, let's just take a second to think about what it means for God to rescue you from a situation. 
Now, obviously, our minds can quickly go to salvation. In the moment of our salvation, when we realized Jesus, when the Holy Spirit convicted our hearts of our sin, and we turned to Jesus and gave our lives to him, most of us were in a season when we needed a Savior. Some of us, some of, our, some of your story might be that you grew up in church, and so you grew up believing in faith. You had Jesus in your heart, and you knew that. But, but a lot of people went through a really difficult time and needed a Savior. And so the idea of salvation being uh, that moment when God pulls you out is absolutely valid. However, I want to go a little bit further because salvation, that story, whatever your story is, whether whether it was an addiction that God um, uh, rescued you from or a broken relationship or self-loathing or depression or suicide, whatever that was that God rescued you from, that wasn't just a one-time event. Most of us have many times in our lives when we need to be rescued, where we need a Savior. We need Jesus to pull us out of the desolate pit we're in and bring us back to life. So I believe David, obviously, and David has had a couple of interesting things happen in his life that he needed a savior from. Early on in his life, um, he it, we have written from him that he actually used to fight off bears and lions when tending to his sheep as a little boy. So he's fought animals. He uh, One of the most famous stories, he killed Goliath. After he was anointed to be the future king, he was in hiding for years from King Saul, the current king of Israel. And so th- then again with Bathsheba, when he could committed adultery and ended up murdering um, through sending Bathsheba's husband into the front line of war. He, he dealt with that. Then he had the death of a son. And, and so David has had lots and lots and lots of hard things happen to his life where he needed God to be a savior and to rescue him. And so we can relate to that. Though perhaps most of us haven't gone out killing wild animals to protect our flock. I don't know uh, personally any shepherds, but Maybe you, maybe you are. Maybe you're a shepherd and you have to fight off wolves and lions. But chances are you do have realistic issues. The statistics for depression and anxiety and, and self-hate and uh, issues in the home and domestic violence, those, those statistics, the, the percentage of people dealing with those problems is on the rise because we live in a broken, fallen world. We live in a world that needs to be rescued from, from, from itself by Jesus. So chances are you've dealt with something that you need a savior. And David is explaining to us that if you wait through the season and you continue fervently praying and asking the Lord, rescue me, Lord, rescue me, Lord. There will come a time where God will hear your prayer and he will pull you out of that place. And then he sets your feet. Not only does he save you, but he actually steadies your stance. He'll place you in a firm position where you're no longer wavering to and fro, where you have a grip, where you're set up right so that you can walk along his ascending path, as David puts it. Uh, the, uh, the American Standard Version says, and he set my feet upon a rock, making my footsteps firm. So he sets you, not only does he rescue you, but he sets you. He restores you to a place of, of firm standing. Now, for us, what does that mean? So David... Uh, his, again, in the history of David, David was a shepherd. He had seven brothers. He was the youngest. He was number eight. David was a shepherd. Then he was uh, an outlaw, not because he had committed a crime, but because the king at the time was trying to kill him. 
Then he became a warrior and a soldier. He had mighty men that were warriors beyond measure. He was just, they were the, the best of the best, like modern day Navy SEALs. These guys were unbelievable. And then he was a king. And so he has this story of needing to be able to do what most people were not willing to do. And he needed a firm ground to stand on for that. Verse 3. I'm going to get back to that in a second, but I want to read verse 3 for you. There's, yeah, verse 3. A new song for a new day rises up in me. Pause. How amazing. When God rescues you, he pulls you out. When he hears your prayer, rescues you from the pit, it places you on a firm stance. Now is the time. A new song for a new day rising up in you. Every time, he says, every time I think about how he breaks through for me. Ecstatic praise pours out of my mouth until everyone hears how God has set me free. Many will see his miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. A challenge for you today. God has rescued you. He has saved you from depression. He saved you from anxiety. He saved you from that abusive relationship. Some of you, he saved you from health issues. He saved you from, from cancer. He saved you from the heartbreak of a miscarriage. God has saved you and rescued you from that place and brought you up to a place where you can stand in peace, confident in what he's done. So now I have to ask a question. In light of Psalm 40 verse 3, has a new song for a new day risen up in you? Or are you living with the song of the past from the pit? Here's what that song sounds like. God, I need you. God, help me. God, save me. I don't know how to get through this. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if my family understands. I don't think anybody understands. I'm alone in this. God, save me from this desolate pit. Save me from this muddy mess. That's, that's the old song. Because when you've met Jesus and the Holy Spirit has come inside your life, now you're no longer alone in the pit because he pulls you out of it. So now you have a opportunity, an opportunity for a new song. Are you writing a new song today? Has a new song come out of your heart? Has it arisen? When you think about the breakthrough God's brought for you. For me, when God rescued me, I was raised in church, but I went through hard things just like everybody else. Just because I was raised in church doesn't mean I was protected from the enemy. Just because you were raised in church doesn't mean you've got it right. There are a lot of people that have sold their souls over to the spirit of religion and they've left the relationship with Christ at the altar. You might have even responded to it. You might have heard the gospel message and you responded and you started a relationship with Jesus, but when you went back to the pew, you left Jesus at the altar. Because if there's not an ecstatic praise coming out of your mouth when when you think about the breakthrough God's brought you out of, if there's not a fire in your bones, I would wager to say you haven't thought enough about your salvation. Are you saved? Absolutely. I'm not questioning that. If, G- if you believe Jesus is the son of God, God raised him from the dead, he will return again. He's the only way to heaven. If you believe that, then you're saved. There's salvation. But have you thought about it? Have you fallen in love with your salvation? Because if you have, then everybody should know about it. Everyone hears 
how God sets you free when God sets you free and you walk with him from the altar. You know, in a wedding, the bride comes down the altar to meet the groom. And in a lot of churches, when an altar call happens, that's what's taking place. The bride is coming before the groom and saying, I do. I can't live without you. I need you. And you say your vows. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. You are my savior. The only one for me. So after you make your vow to the Lord, surrendering your life to him, has a breakthrough happened in you that's pouring out ecstatic praise from your mouth so that everyone may hear that God has set you free. Because here's what happens. When you allow the spirit of the living God to propel your life forward, regardless of your dignity, regardless of the religion you're raised in, regardless of what your friends or your family may think, regardless of what job you have, when you allow the spirit of the living God to push you forward, miracles happen, People's lives are changed and people fall in love with Jesus too. He ends verse 3 by saying, Many will see his miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. Why will they see his miracles? Because it seems like the first part of, the first, of, of this psalm is all about what God's done for David. Why is it suddenly switched to other people and how they will respond to God? Because he gets off of himself. He, he, he stops talking about himself at the second half of verse 3. Everyone hears how God has set me free. No, no, no. He doesn't say everyone hears. That's not all he says. Right before that, he says, the praise will pour out of his mouth until everyone hears how God has set him free. That fire in you, that that salvation flame that the Holy Spirit is alive in you could, if you choose to let him, could be such a powerful momentum that the people around you's lives hear God has set you free through your actions, through your words, through the lifestyle you choose, through what you decide to do or not do late at night, from what you decide to do or not do around your friends on the weekends, God will move through you to show other people that he set you free. And then many miracles will happen. Many will see the miracles. They'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him. So what does this have to do with your dignity? What does this have to do with the way you create a stance for your life. Well, if your life is given over to religion, if you've given yourself over to the legalism of the church, that unfortunately happens when we, when we create uh, atmospheres of obedience. When religion is your relationship with God. When you relate to Him through the rights and wrongs and through the law and through the religious system. When that is the place, let me tell you something right now. Nobody is attracted to that. I don't know a single soul that decided to fall in love with Jesus because somebody did everything right. Jesus doesn't save people through the uprightness of others. He saves people because others see the grace on your life. You can do absolutely everything right and nobody will care. 
You have to show people that God loves them. You have to show people that God showed grace and saved you. People won't come to the cross unless they see that the cross means that they're accepted where they are and loved for who they are and God can change them into who he wants them to be. People will not respond to your religion. They'll respond to your relationship. So which one is on display? That's the question. Are people hearing that God set you free? Are they seeing the miracles that God's performed in your life? Or are they seeing the religion that you swear an oath to? Because scripture says that they'll stand in awe of God and fall in love with him if they see that he set you free. Are people surrounding you standing in awe of what God's done? Here's how they can do that. If your religion is your God, they will not. But if you display your relationship with God, they will. And how do you do that? Jesus said that they will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Love is how people will see the cross as something desirable. Love alone. God's love for them. That's what draws them to the cross. God's love. Not man's religion. God's love. So much so that they'll fall in love with him. So we have to examine ourselves. We have to stand and look in the mirror and see what in my life is preventing others from seeing God's love through me. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe you have a bad attitude. Maybe you ingest things that you shouldn't. Maybe, you're, maybe you, you said the sinner's prayer, you accepted Jesus as your Savior, but you still have a drinking problem and you won't get help. Maybe your spouse doesn't think you love them very much because you're a little too aggressive at home. Or, or maybe it's not something as drastic as that. Maybe it's just you don't speak up when the Holy Spirit asks you to. One of my biggest fears in life is to be asked to do something by God and to not do it because I was afraid. That's terrifying for me. I would rather step out in fear, believing that God will move through, through my obedience to him, than for God to pass me over and choose somebody else to perform a work, to perform an act of love. So I look for opportunities. Do you look for opportunities? Are we looking for chances and opportunities to love people where they are so that they will see that God has set you free and they'll turn to the cross? Because that's what a life without dignity looks like. A life without dignity is a life completely devoted to the love of God being poured through our, our broken bodies into the broken body of somebody else. People will fall in love and stand in awe of God if they see that you love him and he loves you. I'm going to end with verse 4. Blessing after blessing comes to those who love and trust the Lord. They will not fall away. Because a lot of times religion will tell you if you don't do it right, at some point you're backsliding. If the standard is set up by religion, you backslide. If the standard is set up by a list of right and wrongs, a laundry list of things that you have to do to be approved by God, which is not biblical, but is the old law, is the old covenant. If that's what the church is set up to, to, to enable you to do is to, is to fulfill a laundry list that, by the way, Jesus already fulfilled on the cross, then, then you will fall away. But this says, blessing after blessing comes to those who love and trust the Lord, not those who obey and follow religion. 
They will not fall away, those who love and trust the Lord. They will not fall away, for they refuse to listen to the lies of the proud. You know what dignity is? In this sense, dignity is pride. The Pharisees in the New Testament, the Pharisees had a lot of pride. They had an arrogance about them. They performed religious acts and they did all the right things so that they could show others that they are the holy ones. But those who love and trust the Lord refuse to listen to the lies of the proud. Here's a lie of the proud. If you don't tithe, God won't bless you. That's a lie. Tithing absolutely is a mandate from Scripture, and you absolutely must tithe. But it's not in order to be blessed. It's actually an act of faith, but we can talk about that another time. The problem is the proud take the potential blessings and promises of God and turn them into acts and services and necessities to be in good standing with God. But God's love and God's, God's grace is what puts you in good standing. Scripture says that faith is what counts us as righteous. I said that in the last podcast that Abraham and Isaac, you can listen to that and it's towards like the middle half of, or the end of the, the last episode. But faith is what counts us as righteous. God sees our faith and trust. That's our trust in him. As he says as in Psalm 40 verse 4, those who love and trust the Lord. So you put your faith in the Lord, not in the system, not in your dignity. If you're going to stand before people, show them God's love. Don't show them the pride of being able to be religious well. I believe that God desires for his people to live in such a way that love changes the atmosphere when we walk in the room. I, I, I imagine I see a church where a, the, the big C church, like the church as a whole, I see the church in a place where when they love people so much, that a Christian can walk into the room and everybody knows that they're the real deal and that they love. That's what Jesus said is the signet of what a, a disciple of him looks like, your love. Are you loving people well? Or is your dignity in the way? Is your pride in the way? Is religion in the way? Because let me tell you something, if there's a limitation on your love because of the recklessness of religion, you've got to abandon your religion and fall in love with Jesus again. Remember your salvation prayer. Remember what he did. Don't forget your first love. Remember that God saved you from a desolate pit and he pulled you out and placed your feet on a solid ground, on a, on a shaped rock, on something that will not move. Remember that God saved you. He rescued you. He has a plan for you. It's more than just religion. It is a relationship with a loving, powerful, gracious, forgiving, faithful God. That's God's plan. So deserting your dignity looks like trusting in the Lord, remembering your salvation, and showing others that God set you free. Amen? All right. I'm going to pray to end this podcast because I really love prayer. I think it's a way that we corporately as, as listeners, as believers, can look and reflect on what God's done. So let's pray. God, I'm so thankful that you saved me from where I was before I knew you. I needed a Savior and you heard my prayer. You came in and rescued me and you placed our feet on solid ground and everything changed. 
God, I ask that by the Holy Spirit, you would fill us and live through us in a way that everyone knows that you are the Savior, that you are the one that set us free, and that many will see your miracles, and many will stand in awe of you and fall in love with you. God, fill us with this strength to refuse the lies of the proud, to be able to resist the temptation of religion, and be able to live freely without dignity for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.